Hello listeners, welcome to the 29th Spool.ie podcast, it's almost as old as us, crikey. Uh, coming up we take the obligatory look at the Avengers Age of Ultron and we discuss some of April's other notable releases including John Wick and the Kurt Cobain documentary Montage of Heck. Uh, we've also brought back our archive series Watch with Spool with two films celebrating anniversaries this year. Um, anyway, um, will we take a clip? We're going to start with the Avengers because we kind of have to. That's the big one that everyone's still talking about. It's been a couple of days at this stage, um, nearly a week now almost. And um, yeah, here's a clip where the team discuss whether Tony Stark's tinkering might be to blame for all this messing around with Ultron. This could have been avoided if you hadn't played with no, something you don't I'm understand. Sorry. I'm sorry. It is funny. It's a hoot that you don't get why we need this. Tony, maybe this might not be the time. Really? That's it. You just roll over, show your belly every time somebody snarls. Only when I've created a murder bot. We didn't. We weren't even close. Were we close to an interface? Well, you did something right. And you did it right here. The Avengers were supposed to be different than she. Anybody remember when I carried a nuke through a wormhole? No, it's never come up. Save no, New York? Never heard that. Recall that? A hostile alien army came charging through a hole in space. We're standing 300 feet below it. We're the Avengers. We can bust arms dealers all the live long day, but that up there, that's, that's the end game. How are you guys planning on beating them? Together. Uh, so Joss Whedon's latest film follows on from the ridiculously successful 2012 film, The Avengers. How much do you think that made? Can you remember US dollars? 2.4 billion. No, 1.5 billion. You've made it seem oh, really okay. short now. Sorry. It's like it's got a tiny penis, um, and you've just made it feel really bad. 1.5 billion, really good. Third highest grossing film yeah. of all time. Uh, this latest film reunites all the gang once again to take on a completely AI-powered baddie going by the name of Ultron. Uh, this is all Tony Stark's fault, as we heard in the clip. They, him and Bruce Banner were kind of tinkering around, um, and he effectively allowed Jarvis to get hacked. Is that it? He turned Jarvis into this yeah, the all-running AI security force. What's the knife thing? The spear of... Loki's uh, scepter thing. Yeah, they uh, find that again, and they realise that there's almost this yeah, artificial intelligence that's a version of Jarvis times 10. It has yeah. like a functional brain. Why didn't they keep Jarvis's voice? This became a thing, so... Right, if no one has seen The Avengers, we don't care. It's out of week at this stage, so we're just going to speak somewhat spoilery but equally who cares yeah um we're not going to talk but well, we might talk about who dies and stuff anyway but like why why did did ultron not have why did it need a new voice you know why did james spader's voice have to be in there would it not have been really unnerving if they had kept uh, it's a bit too much like Bettany's lovely spider-man voice. and venom vibe though then is the it? same thing you yeah. want to keep them separate because paul bettany then becomes the vision um, in the film, who was a very strange character. It was very brilliant. weird, kind of flesh and bloody, and mm. while he's becoming that person, you're kind of being like, oh, I wonder who this is going to be, and then you're like, oh, it's actually Paul Bettany. Yeah, I liked it, because yeah. there was a funny nod, I'm sure this was completely accidental, um, but that uh, thingy from The Hobbit, uh, what's his face, who played Ian McKellen. Um, the arms dealer. No, Eagle he played Morrison. the arms de- dealer in it. He, no. Bal- Balrog. <laughs> No, you're just messing with me here. Like in that he finally got to play a hobbit in um in the third film. Um what's his face? He plays the A Gollum. Yeah. Andy Circus called Andy Circus. Thanks. <laughs> you didn't want to dig me out of a hole. I think you knew that straight away. Um so Andy Circus gets to play 
the Hobbit Smeagol in, you know, in, in, in the Return of the King, right? At the yeah. very beginning. And that's kind of nice. You're like, oh, there's the actor who we know over the years has been doing this voice. So, yeah. whereas um, with this, it was sort of nice that we finally got to see Paul Bettany because he's been in maybe four of these films as Jarvis, Tony Stark's uh, kind yeah. of, you know. I always get control. confused when I hear Jarvis where I'm like, is that Jude Law? And I was like, oh, no, it's not Jude Law. Yeah, Paul Bettany, who is a great actor but finds himself in terrible films. He was in... Uh, Mordecai recently. Mordecai he was in. Yeah. He, in interviews for it, he was very honest about it and you could tell he knew it was absolute garbage. <laughs> but he's in Transcendent uh, last year and Wimbledon. You know, he just... Mm. He's a great actor though and hopefully he'll find the right kind of roles. Um, anyway... Um, I like the th- thing in Avengers with... Uh, it kind of went more into the storyline with the Hulk and Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Um, but is it believable? Do you think they could be buddies? I think so. And yeah. I kind of like that touch where it was like a bit of a romance between the two of them. And Her story is so grim, though. It's very dark. And, and they go there with it. They do touch in areas because it's kind of you can kind of see what they're getting at at different points. But then they actually come out and say point blank what has happened to her which is pretty it's very good she's no longer a woman in effect they or they took yeah. away her right to be a woman and, and you were saying that Josh Whedon the director had come out recently and criticised the trailer we've only seen the trailer for, for the new World. Jurassic World yeah. criticising it so you can kind of and before I saw the film I was like but sure he only has Scarlett Johansson like one woman in a film of whatever but yeah. it is very centred around her, yeah. I think. I'd give her more to do, if anything. Like, I mean, and I think in this, we've seen the Thor films, we've seen Captain America and, and, and the, the Hulk. Like, all these people have had their own. Mm. So it was actually Hawkeye, who I think was the star of the show. We finally got to see a bit of his backstory. And he also got the best line in the film, which I've, uh, which I've written down. Um, We're fighting an army of robots, and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes any sense. Yeah. So brilliant, you know, and there was three great quips and funny lines of dialogue. The film is hilarious. That's yeah. the thing, like that he knows how to write these funny things, um, and it's just brilliant. But I just my main thing was that there's way too many people in it. Like if you, I could read you the cast list, but it actually be, do you want me to speedily read it because I have it here. Um, Go. Like, I'm gonna. This is uh, dum 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 dum. Uh, where's the actors? Okay. <clears throat> Um, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Chris Helmsworth, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, Don Cheadle, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, Kobe Smulders, Anthony Mackie, Hayley Atwell, Idris Elba, Stellan Sardegard, James Spader, Samuel L. Jackson, and then there's also cameos, um, you know, from we we get to see, uh, like, people who just show up, and you're like, wait a minute, is that, like, Julie Delpy and Linda Cardellini, I think is the name of the actress who played Hawkeye's, or whatever, um, in that secret thing, and you're like, I know that person, I know that person. And ridiculous. Like, if I'd have told you that Stellan Skarsgård was in it, you'd be like, was he? And then you're like, oh yeah, he had that tiny Oh yeah, bit. And, and he comes into it again. Is that bad writing right? that they're not able to... Cut that he away. wanted to bring everyone back in and give them a little nod, like Idris Elba for five seconds. Yeah, Hayley it's so Atwell, weird just bringing... that these films are allowed to have such a long run time. Like, if you come out and said, oh, I've got a romantic comedy, it's two hours, you would imagine studios are like, no, nobody's going to sit and watch a film for two hours. Or... You know, it seems like... They could have done with an interval or something, so, like... Because yeah. uh, the runtime's 2.20, is it, or maybe longer? Yeah, I'm in two minds um, about it completely. It's 140 minutes, so yeah, 2.20. Mm. And I, I I actually... So here's this weird thing that I summarised this. I went to work then uh, on Friday after seeing it, and someone's like, what do you think of it? I'm like, well, I need to see it again, really, to know, but I don't really want to see it again right now. Which so you have that hunger because you're like there's a lot going on and I yeah I'd like to maybe I did it did feel long but I wasn't bored by it like we'll talk about Fast Seven in a minute or two but another film that was too long but you really felt it like I thought Avengers was very entertaining and kind of kept me gripped and everything but yeah too long 
But good performances overall, funny, and there's another one coming out, is there? Or what's next in this comic book universe? Will um, there be yeah, another? Because so by the... Oh, I can't really say that, because that is a spoilery end of the film. No, well... Wait, well, it looks like there's a whole new gang of Avengers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And is that going to be do the it. Well, next? the next film... Sorry, no, the next one is the new Captain America one, which is him and Iron Man at war, whereby... Um, there's a like a vo- effectively like a thing that have an X Men where you have to register as a superhero or like a mutant type thing like that X Men thing and they disagree over that. So Iron Man thinks it's a great idea, but uh, Rogers thinks it's terrible. So Captain America goes off in hiding and then they kind of battle a bit. So the two of them are in it and Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow is in it and yeah, I think that's what the next film is. And then because in Phase Three, um. I mean, I can I, again in this ridiculous list here. We're so we're finishing yeah. we're finishing phase two now, and um, the next one's to kick because phase two was actually probably the best one. Iron Man three, great movie. Shane Black directed, really really funny. Um, came out uh, two years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, it's all such a blur. And there was quite funny. There was a trailer before Avengers. And I was like, oh, I don't know what this is. I haven't seen it. And then you kind of laughed. You knew what it was. And then I realized it's Fantastic Four. Yeah, which has nothing to do with this. It's just, this doesn't fit and into the canon. And it's just a new iteration of the film. Yeah. Like, And we have Thor, The Dark World come out, which was surprisingly very good as well. Loki was in it. Loki isn't in this. I prefer Loki to Ultron. But anyway, uh, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which I love and would defend to the death. Guardians of the Galaxy, which very funny, good but fun. inconsequential. And then you have this, which it just feels like, yeah... Maybe it's the end of the good time. So I'll tell you, we've Ant-Man coming out in July, which, who knows, could be fun. It feels like it's inconsequential to the overall thing, but because of the director issues with Edgar Wright. Yeah, you're always a bit uh, dubious. We, we're going into yeah. very low expectations. So phase three, uh, Captain America Civil War, May 2016. Um, oh, that's nice, Easter Rising. Cool, Civil War, very fitting. That's oh. probably intentional. That, I'd of say, course, I'd is say intentional. I thought that, yeah. Yeah. Um, Doctor Strange. So this is the one that is Benedict Cumberbatch no, meant to be in that. Okay. Uh, and like these are all great directors, like doing like doing these things as we know. Like, well, it's not um, Scorsese and you know. No, but they're they're po- po- you know they're promising directors. Guardians of the Galaxy two. We're up to May two thousand seventeen. The Spider Man film, which is probably the most interesting, that Spider Man might be in that Captain America one apparently. Oh, I heard about but, that. Like, yeah, Captain America. But is it going to be James Garfield or Andrew Garfield? No, no, brand new Spider Man. So. Look, How is it? Oh, this we're into is mad. Number, number Batman, three. Superman is surely at some point. Yeah. Well, that's a couple of. No, that's next year, is it? No, that's set in the summer. Oh, okay. It's revo- it's all too much. Thor, November two thousand seventeen. The Avengers: Infinity War Part One. Wow. May two thousand eighteen. Black Panther. Um. Then in July eighteen, Captain Marvel, November two thousand eighteen. Like they're par- par- cramming three in a year. Yeah. At this stage, Af- Avengers: Infinity War Part Two. In humans, I don't know. I don't know anything about the humans. So um, there was, anyway. there's two, um, the too two, much. The two, the two bad guys in Avengers: Age of Ultron are twins who have um, like telekinetic powers and mind reading powers, and then very speedy. But were they the Quicksilver? S- yeah, were they the same? Because that was like uh, if you stay to the end of the credits and you get a sneak peek. Yeah, at the end. Of they were Captain the, America. America too. But was it those actors? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I was trying to wonder. Because I thought I would have remembered Sam Taylor Johnson. And Elizabeth uh, Olsen. Yeah, and why did they have to kill one of them? Why did they have to kill one of them? Like that just But I just think it's like, well, amazing. we're not killing one of the Avengers, well, so... Yeah, but it worked well in the gender balance that we all try to address in these films. Yeah. Spoiler! Um, anyway, yeah, like, I'm on the... 
I'm really in the two camp, but I'm on the three out of five. Oh, it's not a three, an entertaining and fun. It's an entertaining three, but it just feels like they've dropped the ball. And like when I think back to the old Avengers, I, I, I could do the thing where we had, you know, five main characters, Thor, Captain America, um, Iron Man, Hawkeye and the Hulk. And like, I guess, but anyway, they all managed to have a moment between each other, I felt. Yeah. Whereas with this... Blah, there's an interesting much. point in this there's um, a friend of mine at work Ed he's big into comic books and the stories and stuff and he's saying he hadn't seen the film yet but he said that there was an, uh, it possibly was going to allude to a separate Hulk film because there's a strand of comic book where the Hulk is on the moon Mm. And there's like a Hulk planet or something like that, and this is kind of hinted at in this. Yeah, the to, Hulk sort of goes to his, a wall, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which I thought was like and that'd the, be interesting. The other thing that they did differently: the Vision saves uh, the Scarlet Witch. Is that her name? Uh, yeah, is it Scarlet Witch? Is her name? I think. Um, and saves her, and they get married. <laughs> in the comic books. In the comic books. Wow. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you the can Vision. Read there was a bit of. Um, I don't know if you noticed it. Is it Doctor Manhattan from Watchmen? Oh yeah, I yeah. kind of got that bit of a vibe yeah. off of him, just maybe yeah. because it was the cool. And there's a fun for those of you who haven't seen. And in the in the clip that we saw last year, we saw everyone trying to lift Thor's hammer, and no one can. But by the end of the film, someone can, which is fun. There's a brilliant joke in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, it's very, it's very funny, very clever. You can tell a very smart man has done it. But Joss Whedon is now off the uh, off the thing. So He's not doing the, any of the what more. Um, no, the next Avengers Part One and Two are being done by. Uh, Anthony and Joe Russo who've been doing the Captain America films and then yeah so they're directing the right ones and then they're not writing them so that's interesting speaking of overlong action films here's a clip from Fast and Furious 7 it's actually called Furious 7 I was going to say that Jubal how about you tell us where that device is I mailed it to a friend in Abu Dhabi that's pretty easy that other team would have tortured you for that information. I didn't trust them. I trust you. Now, why would you trust us? You barely know us. I know enough. <sighs> Ex-cop, military, something like that. The way you took out them guys shows training. Tech guy, offended by the hacker remark, naturally. <laughs> Alpha. Mrs. Alpha. Joker. Wrong. <sighs> Double alpha. Man candy. You know what I'm saying? Man, sit your candy <laughs> ass down, man. The disrespect is real around here. Life is binary. Zeros and ones. Only two things keep a group like this together. Fear or loyalty. And I don't see a drop of fear among you guys. Yeah, so there we heard a clip from Furious 7. Um, it is kind of the round table where one of the characters is getting to or like pointing out everybody in the team so it's quite a big storyline overall it starts quite a funny scene with uh jason statham coming into a hospital bed and he's talking to what we find out is his brother and i couldn't remember that like i've seen the last fast furious owen film shaw. Yeah, yeah owen shaw the guy he, took him he down the guy who killed smog in um in the hobbit oh, the guy who brilliant shot the everything yeah. same actor so um, Jason Statham is Owen Shaw's brother and he has come now to bring down the Furious, Fast and the Furious team. So he goes in his vengeance. But the opening scene is just him talking to the brother in a hospital bed. And then it is Jason Statham leaving the hospital. But you see the absolute world of wreckage he has left in his wake just to get to his brother. 
So it kind of sets the scene for what Jason Statham's going to do. Then we touch base with all the various different characters. There's a real... Obviously, the elephant in the room is that Paul Walker died shortly after the film finished. Or even before, like, during, kind of. Like, this is the... Yeah, in a road accident, You find obviously. yourself trying to piece together. I wonder, do they have that film Yeah, there or? is lots of moments where it's like, oh, don't you go and you got to come back because there's a lot of the work in the storyline with... He's obviously Paul Walker, the character, is married to Vin Diesel's sister and they have a kid together. And we find out that she's pregnant with another child. Um, so this is kind of storylines running through it and family and is the most important thing that matters and you have to come back to your family. So once the gang realises they're being hunted down... All soundtrack by that song. That you keep, did you keep hearing that on the radio? See you again, the one at the end. The oh, very okay. One. Right. Yeah. So um, Number one song in the pop charts. First time I've known of. Where? Uh, in the UK. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hardly, uh, hardly Ireland, is it? Or? I'd say yeah. it's the same thing. Should oh, buy okay. singles. You only need to sell a few. True. Downloads, though. I'm going to find that out for you now. Grand. So um, then there's this storyline that comes in where it's called God's Eye. And there's a brilliant thing, which was ruined by the credits because I had no idea Kurt Russell is in the film. And then it comes up in the credits starring Kurt Russell. And I was like, oh, that would have been a good um, surprise cameo. Top of the Irish iTunes charts. Wiz Khalifi, see you again. Brilliant. So that's it. Yeah. It was kind of funny watching the Wait, demo. I'm going to actually just play it in the background. Okay, go for it. Uh, you will hear it coming in there. It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. It's interesting seeing the demographic coming into the film where it just seemed to be boy racers and their girlfriends watching this film and it's a ridiculous nonsense of a film the action's really interesting and good but then they have this whole thing in the background where they're trying to make Vin Diesel pretending he can act and be all serious and emotional I think it would have been a great film if they didn't have to do the emotional Paul Walker yeah. stuff and could have just left it to be so, like it felt like they, they could have just done the action because it's that's 2 hours and 20 five. minutes and it was yeah. happening at 9 like there's a brilliant scene where the cars where they were driving this Ferrari Porsche something and it cuts through it drives through three buildings in Dubai mm. you're like this is brilliant it's great fun there's another bit where a load of them drive backwards out of an airplane and parachute out ridiculous funny stuff and that bit with the bus bet you love that yeah the bus is incredible I've never seen a bus with machine guns and the side lockers it's cool. you should get your dad to watch that part and he'd be like that's no nonsense that wouldn't happen <laughs> or yeah maybe so yeah those bits were good but then you have this whole thing with family because there's a scene or there's Which a storyline it has always had that weird like this is a soap opera like sort of quality to it but I think they pushed it too hard because and when you say soap opera there there is a scene or a storyline with Michelle Rodriguez where she has lost her memory and she can't remember all this stuff that she has with Finn Diesel so she's kind of going off and she just disappears for half herself. the film which is the film is, yeah and, and The Rock is in hospital for a little while he, again Dwayne Johnson is very good like he knows how ridiculous the whole thing is and how funny it is he's in hospital with a broken arm and leg because he's come across Jason Statham and there's a point then when he's needed and I thought he was just going to flex his arm and the cast would explode but he rips it off and shows his muscles and I was like fine that's you know he knows exactly what he has to do yeah. But, um, Did your audience laugh a lot? Yeah, there was Our good fun. Yeah. My yeah. audience found it really funny. I went to a midnight showing up on the opening day, so it was actually been ages since I saw it. But um, everyone found it just really funny. And like, there'll be times when I'll be watching like, oh, there's a plane. 
driving out of a, a car driving out of a plane like this is stupid but then you realise everyone knows it's really dumb and it's meant to be ah! it's made a billion dollars already and as you were saying has confirmed has for wow. yeah yeah Fury of the Fate, we fate. it'll be called um, but, but I actually... the stuff with Paul Walker at the end was totally redundant because if you watched the film and didn't see the last five minutes and weren't clued into the world you would have there's no need for Paul Walker like yeah, well, there, to have filmed enough because he's is, this is the saga that's for like you know middle America and everyone so they need these things to actually be like closed off they needed a music video that's basically the music video for True. the songs about like that whole thing and then it got pirated like online and everyone's like this is weird like because lots of people who didn't bother seeing the film then saw it and were like oh look at them there pretend CGI I thought, it was very, I thought he looked a bit like a Polar Express um, person in some of the scenes just there. in the very end I thought yeah it's like the montage thing. of showing his stuff from the early films is cool but it's like we didn't yeah. could have done without the CGI thing or something or just done for Paul and kept it. Yeah. anyway there's but. a great I kind of noticed like it's made a billion dollars and it's massive in America and everything there's a great multicultural element to the cast. Yeah, that's probably why. Which is which is yeah. fantastic because like there's so many of the characters that are the main characters that are black and like Paul Walker is pretty much the only Caucasian, main white guy yeah. in the film. So yeah. you're like that makes a nice change. The film's quite offensive to women. There's about twenty different shots of just jiggling asses as they do that kind of really sexist stereotypical thing of going to the car races mm-hmm. and the women are just running around. And then have a nonsense fight scene between Michelle There's Rodriguez in, in that and scene you showed. Oh yeah, and the MMA woman. I um, just figured she was an MMA person. Yeah, is, you um, know, I can't. Uh, was the person who was in? Um, she was at WrestleMania. Steven Soderbergh well. film not available. Oh yeah, no, this is Ronda Rousey who um, is very very famous. And again, that was another like this is like they're kind of listening to what will work. It's kind of like the people who make the films are sort of like they're tuned into well this will add a 5% to the box office demographic this amount of money yeah so, um, so it's good she's cool I quite enjoyed her I'm not sure she can I, I hope they bring her back into it or something or just because it's good to have yeah that sort of thing but yeah but great diversity but yeah once I because you kind of thought maybe before the box office figures come out that okay he's dead this will be an end to it now but once I heard that it made a billion I was like of course they're making another one of these there's no way they're not going to I thought they were going to make one anyway I thought 8 was sort of in the pipeline but yeah hopefully they'll get back to like the thing with 5 which is my favourite one was just really solid action and The Rock is kind of a bad guy but then you know comes good and everything so um, I don't know it's uh, hopefully the series will keep going but hopefully they'll keep you focused a little bit, bit more focused. Um, one more big blockbuster then that we saw before we get into a few smaller films um, is John Wick. So this was just the Keanu Reeves film that again, not sure it made amazing money or did anything, but it's kind of his return to the action genre. He plays uh, the assassin John Wick. <laughs> oh no, it's John Wick. Damn. Um, he made who, candles, I think. Yeah. Oh dear. Who um, he'd retired from his career of being like a henchman, an intelligent, incredibly skilled henchman, um, because he got married and uh, he got out of the gang thing by doing this thing of an impossible. He was given an impossible mission to kill lots and lots of people, and oh god, he actually did it. So then these guys have pretty. They stick to their word most for the most part. So the gang boss, um, played by Mikael Nikvist, uh, let him out. But then a couple of years later, he gets pissed off because someone. Um, after his wife has died, like this was really funny. After the after John Wick's wife dies, um, she leaves him a dog as a like a little token, 
uh, which I thought was quite a nice idea. But then her, it so conveniently happens, just completely accidentally, that someone breaks into his house, robs his car, and decides to kill the dog for no reason. This bothers him a lot. And he goes and he kill, uh, he, he tracks down basically the guy, goes on a rampage. Allen, Lily Allen's brother. Yeah. From Game, Game of Thrones. Thrones. Yeah. He goes on a rampage, basically, and decides to take down the whole... The whole, the whole Russian? structure, yeah. Are they Russian? So, um, I think so, yeah. Um, or Eastern Europe. I know That's pretty stereotypically yeah. racist, so they're Russian. So, um, yeah, Mikhail, the guy who um, who played the gang lord, Mikhail Nyqvist, played uh, Mikhail Blomqvist in the Swedish Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series, which was later played by Daniel Craig. Bit of trivia for you there. Um, but yeah, I saw Run All Night, the Liam Neeson film last week, which had basically a really similar plot of just tracking down someone and then you end up taking down the whole empire it felt very retreaded but i do think what made john wick stand and it was kind is that of the action yeah. was so so choreographed like it was sort of like ballet and like the camera was just allowed to let them do these amazing thing and you know keanu reeves is doing most of his his uh moves himself and it's just really like it's really ridiculous like that classic thing of three and four people standing back while one at a time they come in with the gun and he happens to be able to shoot um so i did um I, I enjoyed that a lot. Like, plot not didn't do anything for me. But. I didn't think. I think I had high expectations going into it because a couple of people had seen it before me and said how amazing it was and it was really old school and it's like a return to form for Keanu Reeves. But I was just like, it's it's grand for me, but it was just too daft and I was like, I don't care. And the plot was too thin and it was just. It wasn't special enough or unique enough for me to be like, oh, I'll yeah. watch this again or like a classic or something like The Raid was maybe or something that didn't have that same... Wasn't yeah, The all... Raid had no plot or No, even, but it, it was, it it was absolute, absolute and didn't balls bother. out kind of insane yeah. choreography and fight scenes, mm-hmm. whereas this was kind of a wee bit of a mishmash of the two. The two guys who directed it um, are mainly action directors. Like They'd never really worked on a feature. So Keanu Reeves kind of almost directed it. Yeah. With them, you kind of hear he apparently had to tell them what like table reads. I heard this in an interview and kind of bring them through the production. So I think it's almost like he half directed it with them, and okay. um, which is kind of interesting. Like that maybe though they could have done with the like a Hollywood jobber mm. to maybe put them like, together. Well, the fight scenes and stuff were good. I thought some of the ways the like when people got shot and the blood spatters and stuff seemed quite fake and like yeah. Did you think Alfie Allen was a bit of a daft cartoon? As but a villain, but like, from the couple of episodes are... I've seen in Game of Thrones, he just seems to... Can he actually act? Yeah, I don't know. He Well, he he has no... He has no Willy in, in Game of Thrones now. It's been cut off. Ah. And he's got a new name, so he's just... He's, yeah. Spoiler for Game of Thrones fans. Spoiler, ah, last year, like two years oh, ago. Okay, it's right. reek now, but anyway. Um, yeah, so no, it, it was... You're right, I had really high hopes for this. I thought it was brilliantly like put together like in terms of the action, but it still it didn't get up past it three and a half sort of star mark or something and that was me being really 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 wanting it to be brilliant mm. um, but I am I do think I I thought Keanu Reeves was really good in it and I did bought into that but just it could have done with a bit more depth but just from know. like yeah. you're like oh he's fit and he looks he's taking care of himself because he can do these action scenes he doesn't have any amazing dialogue or no, he doesn't need it though that's the cool thing uh, um, what age is Keanu? 51 he's 50 Ah. what country was he born in? Canada no, the Lebanon. Oh, very good. I love the internet. Nigel has the internet on his knee right now. Um, anyway, so two smaller films. And we'll actually take some music now. Uh, this is uh, Nirvana. All apologies.
So that's montage of Heck, the new documentary, but uh, Kirk Cobain. He won't say Nirvana, but it's really more Kirk Cobain documentary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it starts out from his time in Aberdeen in Washington and then kind of tracks his life for over a short enough period, maybe 10 years, kind of, I suppose. Well, it goes from his very early childhood. And what, what they had archived for. There's a few yeah. gaps where, like, clearly he was neglected, maybe in early teens, and no one took pictures of your photo. Yeah. And interestingly, it stops. It doesn't go into the suicide or anything after that, which they thought was kind of an interesting point because it's like, well, we know all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and stayed away from the behind the music VH1 documentary thing of like, well, Nirvana's third drummer, Chad Channing, joined the band. Yeah, and they don't touch and on any of that or early. Yeah, Dave Grohl doesn't get name checked at all. I think we know he has his personal issues with the Courtney Love. Yeah, but I was looking group. up on that and apparently uh, he he didn't have any objections to being in the film, but he was doing his Sonic Highways thing when the oh, film yeah. was being done. And then he have added when he was available, um, the director, Brett Morgan, was like, I'm happy enough with the cut I have and I don't need it. Which I'm kind of like... But it wasn't a rock... Yeah, they probably should have out of obligation. Maybe just had thing. something to do with him, Chris you know? Because Chris is in it very little as well. And I thought it was fantastic at just maybe putting that early life into perspective. Because we all, a lot of people of our generation, spent a huge time being fast like you know obsessed with them really mm. and um that kind of made it very one of... step removed kind of though like it was more so our older sisters or brothers generation yeah maybe yeah 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 because like you for a lot of people funny, be... i kind of came to him with unplugged yeah. that and and i kind no of thought nirvana were died. a bit oh right oh, they're yeah. more kind of quiet kind of stuff and then it wasn't until later when i discovered they're older like their first albums and stuff yeah but, but what was what was good like that archive that the the step sorry no that the birth father Donald Cobain shared was like all that is unseen and like that was brilliant like that first hour of the film just had me completely hooked and it's kind of interesting it's that thing you get with documentaries though because uh, Kurt obviously can't tell because you know he can't give his side of the story so you're inferring a lot of stuff and it's interesting because they turn a lot of his recorded um, he obviously talked into like dictaphones and stuff so they animate that so that's great because that's his voice and he's talking but like I I'm very dubious about believing a lot of what his mother and his father say because his mother was kind of saying I think the father was quite honest like he said no we, we fucked up like I mean we kinda, yeah he did we got rid of him like the father certainly and the stepmother were very honest and yeah said, yeah well we didn't but the mother was kind mother, of like oh yeah. well he was really so I had to kick him out and then but she was like he was grand with it and then there's a moment when they get the master tapes back of Nevermind is it and he comes down and the mother's like oh I told him to put it oh, on yeah. the radio and play it loud and like, she was I like wonder. your life is never going to be the same again and I was like I bet the fuck you didn't say that like to him you mm. were just like shut up and stop playing that music yeah. I'm very dubious about stuff like that yeah. like the, it's interesting because it doesn't show him as a hero like there are clearly scenes towards the end when he's there with his daughter Frances Bean who was an it's like she was involved in it, but like she's just got an executive producer credit, which is, I don't I'd know. I'd say what she that probably is. gave it. Yeah, well, that would mean she'll get paid for any money the film makes. But probably yeah, but I don't know like have... what creative input she none. had into the film. Yeah, yeah none as an executive, but she will have probably cleared it and gone. Yeah, that's okay. But but there's scenes when he's with her at different points, and you're like, you're clearly strung out in heroin. Yeah. Like right now, I was really I hate it. Like that that that's what I'm saying. So as I say, the first hour, I was like, great saying the. Like, you know, I'm eating out of your hand, and then I hated the last half hour when we're the hotel room scenes and Courtney Love. I was like, who's filming entirely. that though? Um, because there were scenes when it was the two of them. Old. 
Yeah. Like in a bathroom or something. Yeah. And I was like, who's the third person? You see yeah. it at some point, there's a, another yeah. dude. But I'm not, I'm not too sure. But then know. like, and she'll be, she kind of is, you know, will show herself naked and all this sort of stuff. And mm. you just hate her. Like we already hate her. That stuff, feels but this very voyeuristic or something as well. Yeah. We're like, I don't know if, because there was a thing when diaries of his came out a few years ago, weren't they published? And people were mm. like, these are his diaries and he didn't want these to be seen. The word diary, it's not like public. You book, know, yeah. so the, I felt a bit uneasy yeah, with some of that. Yeah, but like he also was, and you could tell from early life he was an exhibitionist and I think was a creator. So you're right, like when he had his cap on, I think the diaries felt like, you know, he's probably doing them for the people as much because there were things that they rationalized that by saying, you know, here's my diary, read it while I'm out and all that. And they took that as a... Let's publish the whole thing. Yeah. So I do think, as I say, an exhibitionist and a creator. But an yeah, there's a lot in it. There. Girlfriend. The first girlfriend was was really really interesting. Rachel, maybe I'd heard very little from her before. Yeah. Because that was it. Like we don't need the myth. We've all read like yeah. the Charles R. Cross biographies and stuff. But like that, she, her in particular, like, well, no, I enabled his art, and I don't think he was doing many drugs. And I went to work, and then when I'd come home, you know, maybe he'd have done a painting, or maybe he'd have recorded like a sound yeah. collage. Or something, and you're like, all right, very good. Yeah, so we but have it does to very much feel like. Um, what was the name of the book about them? Um, Penny's no tears from heaven. You both heavier, read. heavier than heaven. Heavier than heaven. It seems like the start of it in certain bits are like, uh, like oh, here's the film version of this book. Yeah, but then it doesn't go in into as no, much minute detail of it or with yeah. it, you know. But no, I think it felt fresh. There were fresh voices in there for definite, and the real sense of regret. From lots of people, maybe not necessarily Courtney Love, but like certainly the she parents, seems pretty the messed up. parents are Donald and, and the stepmother. They both seem really frail and upset about how all this. And yeah, like, it's fantastic they're participating. And yeah. he obviously shared all his archive. That was all his footage from early on. But the stuff with Courtney yeah. Love, though, was very weird. She seems to have a very kind of. Because I've seen her, like, she came back into the. the TV world or forefront a couple of years ago she was like touring with her band and doing all the interviews and she seemed kind of normal but in this she like chain smokes for the whole thing and she's rocking back and forward almost mm. she seems really on edge and almost like she might be on something or just that's kind of how you've become after so many years of yeah. abuse or well that was that was kind of the underwritten thing like she said oh I did did some heroin early on when Francis was you know inside me but then I quit and you're like Okay, we just leave not really believing in that because yeah. it was interesting though the way they would have her record that, and then they would go to loads of newspaper vanity. Yeah. This famous Vanity Fair, Fair article, yeah, which in retrospect now we know is all true, like yeah. pretty much. Um, so you're kind of like I. It was an interesting enough way they did that. Where it's like, oh, you tell your side of the story, but we're totally going to rip it apart in a on another form kind of thing. Mm. So. So no, br- but brilliantly put together. Like, I mean, in terms of using available, we talk about mm. how an interview now can be like using archive and bits of collage or sorry, not an interview, so documentary. Had, that was fantastic. Um, he had directed the, the kids stays in the picture. It's the same director, oh, Brett Morgan. But he didn't use his old trick. That was that first film that did the whole uh, moving, moving cut out picture. and then moving slowly. Yeah, that's very interesting. What else has he done? Don't not much I didn't recognise any of them some like TV stuff and different yeah. ones but I was really pleasantly surprised when I saw that trailer I thought I was really tired um, because you know so fatigued by all the Kurt Cobain stuff because there isn't you know we there's not much else to hear but it felt like it was new so um, yeah if they could have sorted out that last half an hour maybe would have been delighted um, 
Anyway, uh, last one that we'll maybe talk about a little bit very quickly um, is The Last Land. This is an Irish film from the director, Jared Barrett. Um, here's a plot somewhere, I'll just bloody well read it. This is what um, the thing is. In a desperate bid to save his mother from addiction and unite his broken family, a young taxi driver on the fringes of the criminal underworld is forced to take a job which will see him pushed further into its underbelly. But will John be prepared to act when the time comes, knowing that whenever he decides to do, his and his family's lives will be changed forever? I don't know. Anyway, it sees uh, Jack Rayner, the up-and-coming Irish actor, playing a taxi driver, and his mother is played by Tony Collette. And then you saw it um, about two years now, was it? I saw Galway? it last July. So I loved it at the film festival, the Galway Film Lab. But you know, it always comes with a caveat. We call it like, well, I'm just calling it now, festival buzz review. So you're there. And, you know, you're, it's being salty and you're either going to love it or hate it. Like, you hear about everyone at Cannes and they, you know, we, ha- we love Cannes now coming up in May. And, like, oh, standing ovation for, like, two hours. Or, like, you know, walkouts midway through. And the reality is, like, with something like, I suppose one of the films that got that recently was Only God Forgives. Where, like, lots of people stood up and applauded it as a great, a great piece of cinema. Other people just walked out, complained and booed. Like, yeah. people boo. But in reality, when you went to see it in Dublin, you just get lots more indifference. So, um, anyway, I did really, really, really like Last Land at the time. Jack Rayner is brilliant. A really surprising kind of performance from where he's not just playing, like, a stupid, Southside posh, kind of privileged character like we saw in What Richard Did, which, to be fair, in interviews when you see him, this is n- not meant as a slight to him at all, but, you know, you felt he kind of he had similarities to that kind of you know socioeconomic group of people portrayed in that film and um he actually has said though he identifies way more with the uh playing the taxi driver from tala so you know i don't know now how good that is but he's on the up and up he's a fantastic um talent and hopefully he'll find the balance to do films like this i think so he seems to transformers tons of stuff he was saying he's taken he was at a q a Oh yeah! When I went to see it, he, and he took, he did a Q and A in Dublin. He's taken like six months off because he's cool. he was saying he's basically shot seven Gap months, year. seven months, cool. seven films back to back. Um and yeah, I don't know. I wasn't as blown away by it because I think again, expectations. Yeah, expectations. Yeah. So it's it's very decent. It's very did well you put like together. The there is no ending. Um, do you like that? No, because it's. Uh, like I've seen so many so. films of late where it's just like directors don't know how to write a story they don't know how to close it off and have an ending and it was like because the ending to that film is another half an hour 40 minutes and he was like we're just gonna end it here wrap it up yeah is it yeah i would love to be inside like jared barrett seems like an enigmatic kind of director character he's really gonna take off like he's 25 or something he talks the talk for definite he does not lack confidence and that is all you need to be a good director nowadays to just believe your own and some of the shots are amazing and it looks good i like and the performances i thought tony collette there's an amazing scene where tony collette is kind of on a couch and she's recounting the story of her family that was amazing i have a little bit from that clip if you'd like to listen let's go for that um the weird part is, you know, now people began to pity me. My mom and uh, friends, my sister. No one would return my calls. No one wanted to help. And I got a new friend. A silent friend. A friend that would never talk back to me or hurt me. A friend that was always there for me. I made things better. Even if it was just for a little while. 
gone missing for days and no one would come looking for me. Only you, John. You always came looking for me. Even when you were a baby. Um, so that I thought was amazing her accent isn't bad isn't it she's from Australia it's good at the start but then it kind of gets a bit weird towards the end it kind of becomes a bit um, Midlands travellerish not Tala yeah and his accent kind of dips in and out at different points as well I dare you take that back Um, so but there was a scene with her before where she's going nuts and that was far too over the top in acting and there's a scene with Jack Rayner in the taxi that everybody's like oh it's amazing and he's to me again that was just over the top acting and that really pulled me out of the film that was like one of those kind of classic Oscar moments in a film where it's like I'm acting now look at me acting and I'm just like no it feels really fake and phony so those parts I didn't like but the story overall there's an interesting segments to it definitely and like when we look at the other Irish like it certainly is like in my book it's still top of the pile for the Irish films that we see yeah yeah definitely of the last one like Patrick say I loved but uh, again you know there's not we haven't haven't been that blown away by much else so we'll see Galway will be announcing their programme in a month or two so we'll see what other delights will be coming at us in July and then in six or nine months later ever yeah. else and um, very quickly because we talked probably for too long about the month and um, my movie moment of the month is from Force Majeure which um, our esteemed Spool Daddy Force uh, Majeure no Majeure maybe Majeure Majeure that's how I'm going for it it's a French legal term or something apparently um, but anyway our esteemed Spool contributor Mick McGovern uh, loved this when he saw the Jade I think he gave it five um, anyway it's, it came out then on general release about two weeks ago so a Swedish film from Ruben Ostlund which tells the story of a family at a skiing resort who are part of a small avalanche. They witness it when they're in a restaurant. Um, but they, it then it engulfs them and they see it and the dad runs away and leaves the mother hugging the two kids. And then the avalanche kind of blows over and like it's not really an avalanche, it's just a bit of, you know, dusty. And he kind of creeps back in. I was like, oh gosh, ah, that was funny. And the mother, she, heard, she just loses any respect she ever had for him. So it is a fascinating, so many, there's lots going on. It's absolutely brilliant. But the moment is that, that the movie moment of the month is that scene. It's all done really in one take. And you get to watch the whole thing more in real time. And it's very good. The whole the film is excellent as well and says loads. And I think it's still showing here and there, but well worth um, checking out. Brilliant. You can get it on video on demand as well. Volta is showing Is it, it on Volta? And yeah. can Volta keep that for like after its general release? We're not sure. Presume maybe. so. Yeah. Well, for a certain amount of time, they'd keep it for a couple of months, I'd imagine. Um, my movie moment is from A Little Chaos. It came out in the start of the month. It's directed by Alan Rickman. And it stars... Hey, which I won from Titanic. Kate Winslet. And um, it concerns... Alan Rickman's also in the film. He plays King Louis the, 16th, the 14th. And is he um, good? Like I think he's quite good in the film. Like it's very whimsical and a bit of daft. Like it's good Sunday evening watching. But there's a scene where she's a gardener and is tasked with constructing a garden at the Palace of Versailles, and she gets accepted and invited to court. You know, on you know to hang out with the king and the other people. But King Louis is very much the, the sun king and worships the sun, and he doesn't want any talk of death. So there's a moment where Kate Winslet is hanging out with all these other women and they're trying to get into their backstory and they realise that Kate Winslet has lost her daughter. 
So they realize this and they go into this kind of secret room and they're like, oh, this is... Then they all recount their stories. It was like, well, I lost my husband in this war and I lost my kid in this from this disease. So it's this lovely scene with all this, just these women kind of talking about the loss they've suffered that they can't talk about because it's forbidden in court. So I thought that was pretty special. Very good. Um, and that's still potentially out. It's been out two I'd weeks, so you might catch it a bit. Yeah. Most screens have been taken over by the Avengers. So there's 26 screenings in uh, Cineworld there on the Friday of the weekend that it came out. Um, I think that's enough to have seen it. Anyway, we will take... Let's take a little bit of music, maybe. So we're going to... We're going to... Yeah, let's do with this. some music from safe uh, the first of nigel's two picks for this month's return to watch a spool and is it they're both 30 this year uh one of them is 20 and one is 30 they're very, very token there's two films i really wanted to watch and decided to pigeon them into a thing so safe um, safe had been uh, everyone seemed to be referencing it in two kind of ways so first of all todd haynes um, who directed Safe is has come back to the Cannes Film Festival with his film Carol, which looks uh, really good. And um, the character in this is called Carol, and that's obviously good. But but uh, Julianne Moore won an Oscar for Still Alice, and a lot of people drew a few comparisons between like this performance, which came 20 years ago, and kind of maybe elevated her to like she'd done, um, she done, like you know, it kind of brought her to a new level and and, and stuff. So um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of see it. Um, but it's. Uh, it's effectively a really strange, like one of these mo- like horror films almost, whereby the horror is all around her. And even um, from the opening credits when they came on, I was saying the like music, this, like that does yeah. not sound like a drama. You know? I was so, like, this sounds like real David Lynch yeah, territory. That's it, it was very, very David Lynch. So the film sees Julianne Moore play Carol White, a woman who develops multiple chemical sensitivity, and um, eventually becoming allergic or kind of irritated by pretty much everything so the whole thing with this is whether that's because of the power of suggestion or whether because she kind of gets involved in this healing cult or whether that's actually because her body just has nothing to do in life she's so under challenge she's um she has everything decent husband his name is greg he seems like a nice guy right even through it all i would have got rid of her like just because she's really annoying he seems quite bad at sex though yeah but that's not really like you know Yeah, that was a funny. That isn't an opening scene. It's a great shot. And um, they have a lovely suburban house, which is actually Todd Haynes's own family home or his parents' home or some of his parents' houses in Southern California. Oh, right. Um, so, and a really completely inoffensive group of friends, like the most like token, I won't even Real say Stepford wives, but yeah. yeah, waspish kind of women. And they just meet up and talk about like the, the color of the teal couch and like, you know, how simple it is and benefit fundraisers because they're not that wealthy. They're well yeah. off you know they're anyway so she's pretty physically weary and weak kind of rundown kind of woman um but one day then she collapses is a nosebleed i think it was and decide and she tries then a different kind of thing she goes on a fruit diet and then 
lots of different things happen. She goes see different doctors, psychologists as well, so or psychiatric uh, doctors who you know th- who will consult her husband. Like there's a wonderful thing where like the doctor will talk to the husband and she'll be sat there like she's a child, completely kind of immune to everything anyway and then eventually this paranoia or this ailment kind of reaches new heights and she cuts out plastics any form of artificial additives pollution and any sort of chemical relationship to anything in her life and she then um you know it's it's basically looks starts looking at the at the cult of expensive phony rehab and uh, the lengths that people will go to try and prolong these sort of healthy lives so um it goes it was funny because i saw it a week after the i watched the going clear the scientology okay, documentary yeah. so there was a nice nod to that it's very it kind of it doesn't plod long it, it moves very slowly and it does kind of draw you in and it had an interesting psychological element i thought to it where for a large part you're doing what the hell is going on here before you realize it's an allergic reaction thing is you're just like is she just kind of losing her mind there's a psychosis element to it and it brought to mind that horrible thing of when you have a diagnosis or when you just feel like there's something wrong with you and no one else will believe you um i've read an awful lot recently just randomly because it's when you come up you, you hear something for the first time and then you see it loads of other places but uh lyme disease from ticks and yeah. it just seems Impossible. like an absolute horrendous disease like you yeah. get it and you can't prevent yourself really getting no. that you know you become really run down you feel horrible and you can't really explain it loads of people question even it's in existence as a disease but it just struck me there's a there's a film called the punk singer um from 2013 which is brilliant it's a documentary about kathleen hannah and she was having conditions like this and the way she was describing it and the way julianne moore performs in this kind of reminds me of that kind of and you're just wondering is it a, a bored housewife kind of slow, slowly losing her mind in suburbia and then you turned to me at one point and you were like oh i think she has aids and you're kind of wondering is this a whole allegory for yeah, it's in the, it's in 1987 or something mm-hmm. where this was obviously prevalent in mm-hmm. california and san francisco and stuff so yeah it kind of has that and, yeah um no, it's and she makes a point at some point about wallpaper i can't remember she did throw a thing and which reminded me about the book the yellow wallpaper which is about a woman who is i think she's just had a child but is just bedbound and thinks she can see people in the wall in this yellow wallpaper and it is this real you know mental illness issue but like the film is quite you had read somewhere was it indie what no it was uh, the onion called the, the village, village village voice gave it the um 50 leading critics in the 1990s um all voted on the best films of the decade and this came out top so Which, that's uh, a high praise for like best film of a decade from 50 critics like you know you can't argue with it but it's certainly you can, you're like but i'm just no, like no, you can it, <laughs> yeah but uh, I don't know. Yeah, it certainly seemed like an unusual kind of accolade. Very, it is, yeah. It's very, very good. But I'm not sure he quite give it that. Like, the, certainly I could the never decade, watch like, it again. I don't you think, think about everything that then came out in 1999. Yes. But uh-huh. yeah, but very valuable watching. Like a worthwhile pick and does um, definitely does show. It's important to watch films like this sometimes because you would never. Yeah, you're not going to find this on TV. No, like, it's not the kind of thing huge... that you're going to though. Yeah, you kind of have to force yourself to watch it though. Yeah, it is quite a dense and because your tough podcast, to get because through. your podcast partner encourages you to. So yeah, it had a huge. There's going to be a fair bit of kind of publicity about it because it, obviously it has its twentieth anniversary this year, and it had in America it had a big Criterion DVD re-release, like a big restoration, and 
Um, so it looks great. And there's a couple of really good essays. There's an essay that comes with that Criterion collection thing, which sort of explains a lot more. Like it's almost one of these things that you'd be Tony's happier to dead. read about. No, Tony okay. has a new film next month. He's very sorry. much alive. Yeah. Oh yeah, he said that at the start. Yeah. I thought there was something though, connection there. Okay, sorry. With being dead. Yeah. He disappeared for a while. Like he did I'm Not There and he hasn't done a feature in like since then oh like maybe it's that he only does a film every yeah because he did um far from heaven the douglas sir kind of thing with julianne moore in 2003 and um, i was just looking because i wanted to go back and see how this fell in on the julianne moore kind of rise to fame and so 1995 was safe so that's grand um 93 she was in the fugitive which she sort of uh, forget about um and then in shortcuts the robert altman film where she's a small bit there i think that was probably put it slightly on the radar but then the one that i completely forgot a huge film that had a big impact on me was the hand that rocks the cradle um she's in that remember that wow we love that film we had that yeah. on video in our house it went terrifying like i don't i wouldn't i don't know i'd like to rewatch it um she's not in the lead cast but she has this kind of sporting role anyway that's uh, julianne moore she's a winner the other film in a completely unrelated uh, thing was runaway train from 1985 so it is 30 uh, years old just like me and Nigel here's a clip you know I spent almost every night of my life dreaming about this kind of shit dreaming yeah dreaming that's bullshit you're not gonna do nothing like that I'll tell you what you're gonna do you're gonna get a job that's what you're gonna do you're gonna get a little job some job a convict can get like scraping off trays in the cafeteria or cleaning our toilets. And you're gonna hold on to that job like gold because it is gold. Let me tell you, Jack, that is gold. You listening to me? And when that man walks in at the end of the day and he comes to see how you done, you ain't gonna look in his eyes. You're gonna look at the floor because you don't wanna see that fear in his eyes when you jump up and grab his face and slam him to the floor and make him scream and cry for his life. So you look right at the floor, Jack. Pay attention to what I'm saying, motherfucker. And then he's gonna look around the room, see how you're done. He's gonna say, oh, you missed a little spot over there. Jeez, you didn't get this one here. What about this little bitty spot? And you're gonna suck all that pain inside you, and you're gonna clean that spot. And you're gonna clean that spot. Until you get that shiny clean. And on Friday, you pick up your paycheck. And if you could do that, if you could do that, you could be president of Chase Manhattan Corporations. If you could do that. So there we heard uh, John Voight and Eric Roberts, who are two of the three main characters, I suppose, in the I'd film. I'd say the two. I yeah, the Who's two the third guy? Maybe. No, the woman, maybe. Ah, the woman Rebecca doesn't know anything. Yeah. She fails any Bechdel test. Uh, so John Voight is this hardened criminal called um, Oscar Manny Mandolin and um, the film starts off kind of weird it's uh, it's outside a courthouse and they're doing a well we've just got a judgement on this legal ruling whereby we realise that John Voight has been what's the word um, not locked up but like welded yeah, he's, been he's basically in, in solitary box. confinement but he's been welded into it because he's kind I of an that's escape... some sort of technical term but no that's literally they've yeah. welded the gate together he's so he... an escape artist and he had got yeah. escaped a couple of times and he's uh, 
safe cracker. Originally, he was going to be a murderer, but they felt that that was too strong and you wouldn't really empathise with him. So he gets out of the welded case and then basically escapes from prison like they expected with Eric Roberts comes in tow. And Eric Roberts most recently played uh, Michael Wolfman in Inherent Vice. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So that's what you might recognize him he's from. Improved as an actor since Runaway Train. I yes, think. in Runaway Train, yeah, he's kind of like he reminded me of, you know, that American show mean. Who's the Boss. Yeah. And there was the idiot kind of stay at home nanny. He was just like him. He was really like cross with Rocky Balboa though. <laughs> totally, yeah. yeah. Um, so hey, I'm t- gonna go with you, Ty. I wanna go. Are we gonna go? We're gonna break out now. Uh so the two of them then decide to go on the train. It's good when I break into impressions. It's in not really. No. So they pick this train and it looks okay. But then no, John Voight for some reason uh, decides, no, don't like the look of that train. Let's pick this train. Okay. They go on that train. The train conductor has a heart attack, falls off the train. Uh, somehow keeps it going. Like it doesn't slow down. It's like a perpetual, the brakes Push the lever. fall right. off it for yeah. some reason. Then we are subjected to about uh, an hour hour of John Voight and Eric Roberts on the train realising it's runaway and cut with uh, taking a Fallon 123 type scenario where we have the control people Mm. trying to figure out how to divert the train and 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 stop it. Where Denzel Washington, my favourite film. There was a guy, do you know the black guy who was in the control tower? Uh, yeah. Is that the chief commissioner from Brooklyn Nine-Nine? No, I don't think so. Can you maybe just double check that? So yeah, as you can probably tell by the tone of my voice, I wasn't really that enamoured with Runaway Train. I thought it was really stupid and long and really daft. Like the end scene, you know, when it kind of all winds up, it just cuts to black and there's a quote from Richard III and I really don't get what that's about. (laughs) The director was Andre... Konchalovsky. Um but it's actually based on a screenplay by Akira Kurosawa who wrote Seven Samurai. And so I kind of thought that was interesting and it was selected for the 1986 Cannes Film Festival. It was in competition. Now it didn't win an Oscar. It was up for 3, but it actually John Voight won a Golden Globe for it for the best, best performance actor, in, actor. A, in a dramatic. It's baffling. That's what confused me. So everyone has always said with the Oscars that now they've changed it. So now occasionally like a film in a big blockbuster will get nominated on you know, the dark knight and all that because that never happened before but like this is not like mid 80s or whatever mm-hmm. and yeah and it it did like, but it, it is seen as an underappreciated film of the 80s yeah. so it roger would the, give it four stars out of four yeah. it came up in the electric boogaloo uh, documentary that i saw so it was um so yeah it just that's what was interesting to me i'm like oh this is the one that everyone sort of says and i got oscar nominations and all this so um what are your thoughts on it um, yeah, I sort of agree with everything you say, but I took a bit more brainless enjoyment from it that I actually did. I liked when they got on the train. I thought that was fine. And I like I, I did think it was very influential toward like Unstoppable and that like, but then was also in turn, as you said, the taking of Pelham 123 where, um, yeah, but a lot of the, the, the characters are kind of caricatures like the the police chief who kind of went into the, the thing. And there's other ways they could have kind of tried... To, I don't know. It just it didn't, just didn't really grip me. It was really boring. And then yeah. there was what felt like a 10 minute scene where John Voight, Eric Roberts and record, uh, Rebecca Mornia were just screaming at each other and about to kill each other and kick she, the shit out of each other. And the I just film like... could have just happened without her though. 
yeah, I, I do she wonder mad, why like, she was in it at all. Yeah, and she's some the way she, it's quite stupid. I was kind of looking at some other stuff she was in. Nothing that really stuck out. Interesting bit of trivia. It was the first film by Danny Trejo. Oh yeah, I know. She clocked him. him. Yeah, yeah. Trejo, so that's yeah. his first film. Hmm. But yeah, worthwhile to kind of see what action, what a big blockbuster was like in um, anything. Although it came out at Christmas, and you know, I don't know, uh, did it make much? No, so this is an interesting one. It had a budget of nine million, got all those Oscars, um, it made seven million in the US. So it didn't even make back its money. I'm sure it did now. It does since. seem to like reading some of the trivia on it, it seems like a nightmare to have directed yeah. just with the train. And it kind of brings back that memory. There's a court case in America at the moment where a stuntman was killed when they were filming a train sequence and the director is now up on charges for, oh. you know, that death by misadventure. Oh dear. Anyway, we'll have better. What we're doing now is that we'll just do a write-up on these films so we'll have something written down that we can then pair the podcast with. So maybe you're listening to this in that part. But uh, anyway, I will do a very big, uh, quick um, shout to May. Donald is working now. Any films that are coming to May. I have a pick. It's San Andreas, which is a big, mad earthquake that The Rock um, is going to maybe... He's going to join the world back together. And Sounds like action... a remake. There's a bad disaster movie from the 70s or early 80s called Earthquake. And it basically just looks like a remake of that. But for, yeah, I love disaster I'm now, movies. I'm now sick of superheroes. So like, I yeah. want a break because we've, we're so superhero heavy. This seems like a somewhat original action film. And hopefully it'll you know tick a few boxes. But um, My thing for May ties in with our watch for Spool for next month. So um, Mad Max Fury Road is coming out on the 14th of May. And it is the same director who's directed all the others. George Miller. So for our watch with Spool for this month, we are going to watch Mad Max 1 and Mad Max 2, or is it sometimes known as The Road Warrior? Obviously starred Mel Gibson, directed by George Miller, set in a futuristic dystopian world. And this has been an interesting test because there's certain people, if they actually listen to the podcast, me and Nigel have never seen just either of these Mad Max. Hilarious. Which is kind of the thing that goes, but I can just already hear people going, what do you well, mean you've never seen Mad Max? That's what happens. Guess... George Miller has won an Oscar for directing a film. I'll give you one thousand euro if you can guess what the film was. The importance of being earnest. Happy Feet. Yeah, I was never going to get that. He also directed Happy Feet too. So there you go. In a tie-in with that, the Lighthouse Cinema. I kind of saw they were doing it and was like, "Oh, let's do this." They are showing Mad Max One and Mad Max Two on Saturday, the 9th of May in preparation for the film coming out so if you don't want to watch it online or your old dvds you can go along to the lighthouse cinema and watch their double bill so if i think you should watch it on vhs for anyone who has a vhs player find the vhs buy it on ebay now um get yeah. the betamax top loader yeah i'm looking forward to it mel gibson yeah. he's the guy who doesn't like the women or yeah. Jews or yeah. better move on um, we very quickly we've another big event happening in May the uh, same sex marriage referendum I'm not allowed to have an opinion on it due to my profession so d- do you have any thoughts yeah actually um, vote yes and here's a clip from Pride which came out last year great film I thought it was a bit fluffy but it has a great message so here we have Paddy Constantine who played one of the mining characters giving an address to a gay club in London so here it is, vote yes, and we'll see you next month. Great, yes. Yes, yes. I'm going to invite somebody onto the stage now who wants to talk to you, and I want you to listen to him. He's a striking miner, and he has something he wants to say to you. I've had a lot of new experiences during the strike, speaking in public, 
standing on a picket line, and now I'm in a, a gay bar. Well, if you don't like it, you can go home. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I do like it. <laughs> Beer's a bit expensive, mine. <laughs> but really, there's only one difference between this and a bar in South Wales. The women. They're a lot more feminine in you. <laughs> what I'd really like to say is thank you. If you've supported LGSM, then thank you. Because what you've given us is more than money. It's friendship. When you're in a battle against an enemy so much bigger, so much stronger than you, but to find out you had a friend, you never knew existed. Well, that's the best feeling in the world. So thank you. <laughs>